folks, we're experiencing some moderate Godzilla-related turbulence at this time, so I'm gonna go ahead and ask you to put your seatbelts back on. When we get to 35,000 feet, he usually does let go, so from there on out, all we have to do is worry about Mothra, and uh, we do have reports he's tied up with uh, Gamera and Rodan at the present time. Thank you very much. Welcome to the Film Find, the greatest movie podcast ever. Assuming you've never listened to a movie podcast before, I am your host, Adam Portress. And uh, we're back. Yeah, we took a little bit of a week off, but that was... Uh, I started a new job, so that's how uh, that's that's how I can get away with that. So we started. I started a brand new job, so hopefully that'll actually uh, let me do this a little bit more, a little bit more often, get me more on a structured schedule and things like that and give me money to actually go see movies which is something I haven't had in a long time but uh, yeah so I hope you guys enjoyed our uh, episode about two weeks ago here with our first episode of the uh, Hero Movie Podcast and if you didn't get a chance to listen to that it's obviously in our regular feed and you can go to HeroMoviePodcast.com that is where we are just we're doing an entire episode that is just dedicated to a superhero movie, and we're going to be doing those once a month or twice a month in the case of uh, May, because uh, next week we'll be doing X-Men Days of Future Past, and hopefully you guys will be able to check that out, and uh, it's, it's, uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. It's me, it's Sean Keenan, and it's Bruce Leslie. We're having a ton of fun doing that stuff, but here this week, oh, we have a little something different. Uh Godzilla came out. That is our new release review for this week, and we have a new uh, a new guest on the show. This is this gentleman's first time being here. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the show, Justin Mullis. Justin, how's it going, buddy? Good. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Now, uh, I went around on the internet asking people, I, I, I want to review Godzilla with a Godzilla expert, and I was pointed directly to you. What say you... Justin, are you a Godzilla expert? Well, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I'm a lifelong fan of Godzilla. I have been ever since I was a little kid. Um, I guess I would like to call myself a Godzilla expert. I suppose a lot of fans would like that title. Um, but I, I will say that probably what's kind of earned me that reputation amongst a lot of people, you know, both in like online communities and in real life where I know people is the fact that, you know, I, I try to go above and beyond you know, try to go above and beyond in the sense that I just, I'm not one of those people that I just watch these movies and I'm like, oh, that was cool. Did you see that one where Godzilla punched that other monster in the face, right? I like have a real interest in wanting to know about like the writers and the directors and the suit actors and the special effects artists and like everybody that was involved with these films, how they fit into the, the larger scope of Japanese cinema. Cause I'm a big fan of Asian film in general, mm -hmm. right? I try to do like all of that, you know? 
So, and I mean, so I've, I've watched these movies over and over again. I've read about them. I've, I've tried to learn as much as possible about them. So yeah, I'm, I'm a lifelong fan, you know, really enthusiastic about this genre. I, I love this kind of stuff. So, you know, and, and some of that spilled over into, you know, some of my, my professional and, and kind of pursuits because, you know, I'm, I'm an aspiring, uh, college professor and, and writer and I'm I'm in graduate school right now at the University of North Carolina at Charlotte and I'm studying uh, pop culture and uh, fandoms and fan cultures and so I've written a lot about that and about genre material and that kind of stuff for you know a couple different publications G fan magazine is the main one that listeners might care about because that is the uh, premier uh, print magazine for Godzilla and Kaiju related material so you see, this is you. You ask and you shall receive. You are exactly the person that I wanted for this podcast <laughs> because, like, I'll, I'll admit my uh, my Godzilla uh, knowledge is fairly limited to the you know original uh, Godzilla as well as uh, the the one from uh, Roland Emmerich's Godzilla in the late nineties. That's pretty much where my uh, and uh, I guess. Uh, I don't. Re- there's one Godzilla. Maybe you can tell me this because I've been wanting to know this for a long time. There was something I remember seeing something at some point where Godzilla was going around. I don't even know if it was God. It might not. Have, it was. It was some. It was a dude in a suit, clearly. But I think it was Godzilla, and he like he was fighting and did some sort of weird, almost karate esque move, and then gave somebody kind of more or less the finger, like you know, with the the hand in the crook of the elbow, and or or you know, maybe not the finger per se, but maybe it was more like the you know the Italian fu kind of thing. I don't know. Maybe that. I was, can't think <laughs> of any movie. I can't amazing. think of any movie where Godzilla's ever flipped anybody the bird or anything like that. There is. There is a Korean film that came out in the 1970s, which was one of many knockoffs of uh, Dino De Laurentiis' King Kong, mm-hmm. which is called uh, APE with uh, like bullet points in between each of them. So ape. And that movie's famous for, well, basically just being awful. <laughs> but uh, it's it, in particular, it's got a guy in a really, really shitty looking gorilla suit that at one point does uh, flip the Korean army, the bird. Maybe so, that was yeah. it. I don't remember. I just remember as a kid seeing that and it kind of stuck out just going, this creature just flipped everybody. <laughs> what is that about? It was, <laughs> it was, it was fun to me. But uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, so we're uh, we're here today to review uh, the uh, new Godzilla movie directed by Gareth Edwards, and uh, I gotta say I was I'm kind of shocked about this. Now number, it was actually the number one movie at the box office this weekend. It is the highest grossing single weekend movie of this year so far, outpacing Captain America even. So that's a that's a pretty big deal. They've already greenlit. Uh, Legendary's already like, boom, we're doing Godzilla 2, ready to go with this. And yet, this is an amazingly polarizing film. I have really seen people on all spectrums uh, love and hate this movie. So uh, I think it's going to be very interesting to see what uh, what you thought as well as I did. And of course, if anyone out there uh, agrees or disagrees with anything we have to say, please feel free to email us at thefilmfind at gmail.com. And of course... Uh, anybody that writes us will always uh, get their email read on the show. Um, let's see. Um, let's go in before we get into the movie itself. Um, what you're clearly a fan of the early Godzilla films. I mean, is there what what do you like about it, and 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 what if do you not like about the the uh, all all maybe just the Godzilla movies in general? But I guess 
spilling over into the kaiju movies as well. So what do I like about the genre as a whole yeah. or like what what's attractive to me about these movies? Yeah, what what I mean I guess I guess a, a large percentage of people out there would see these things and um and and, and look I I'll be honest, there's a bit of myself that can be put into this category. I mean, I, I don't disparage them by any means, but they are, you know, fairly low-budget stuff, fairly, um, you know, campy, as it were. I mean, you know, we all saw, like, Ultron and things like that as, as kids. And um, But what is it that specifically kind of attracts you to this genre? Okay, well... Yeah, you said two things in there, which are really common that people who are fans of this kind of stuff get all the time, which is that, um, you know, these movies are often described as being like low budget and they're described as being campy. Mm -hmm. And so if I can take a second, those are two things that I'd like to address, which might answer some of this question in a roundabout way. So the the first thing is that um, with with regards to the claims that the Godzilla movies were low budget, um, that really depends by what standard you're going by. Uh, if you're comparing any of these films, really any of them in this this series, and there are 28 Japanese Godzilla films, Jesus, <laughs> uh, stretching from yeah, stretching from 1954 to 2004. If you compare them to a, your a Hollywood production, especially modern Hollywood productions, really probably since the 70s, uh, yeah, they're obviously low budget films. Uh, Japan's movie industry just can't compete with the kinds of money that we can throw at movies over here in Hollywood. <laughs> if you right? can, if you can. But, but uh, for for Japanese films, a lot of times these were actually incredibly high budget films. When Toho made the original Godzilla in 1954, they spent three times the amount that they usually spent on a film uh, to make that movie, and they had just made uh, Kurosawa Seven Samurai. Right. So this was a high dollar production for them. Uh, So now, granted, some of the later Godzilla movies, like the stuff you get in the late 70s and things like versus Megalon or Gigan or that kind of stuff. That was when Japan was uh, facing an economic downward spiral that had really affected the movie industry. So those movies were definitely like scraping the bottom of the barrel budget wise. But a lot of these movies, including some of the later ones, are rather kind of top-tier productions uh, from a Japanese perspective. And then the other thing about it is sort of the campy thing. And when people talk about these films being campy, I think usually what they're getting at, and you can tell me if I'm if I'm right or wrong here, uh, is the special effects. Is that it? You know, I, I, usually the guys in the rubber suits, the miniature buildings. Yeah, I'm sure that's what most people are kind of... It is It is very much a... It's like, oh, I can, you know, the joke of, I can see the zipper in the back kind of deal, where it is kind of just like, oh, we'll see, it's it's fun, it's silly, we realize he's walking through a big cardboard city here, and I, I guess that's where, you know, people see it, it's like, oh, it's low budget, but oh no, but you're supposed to kind of enjoy it and the fact that it's one of those so bad it's good kind of things. I think that's where a lot of people come from. Yeah, so then, and this will get around to answering your question about what I enjoy so much about this. So, the Godzilla films uh, fit firmly into what in Japan is known as the tokusatsu genre, which is just a fancy word for special effects. But this is a very large genre in Japan, which incorporates stuff like Godzilla, other kaiju movies. This extends to things like Ultraman, and even the Japanese shows like Super Sentai, which is what our Power Rangers are based off of. Basically, anything involving kind of like science fiction, superheroes, 
where you end up putting guys in rubber monster costumes, guys in spandex, and have them fight in miniature cityscapes. Right. That's all tokusatsu. Uh, and this is a this is a it was started by a guy named Iji Subraya, who was the special effects director at Toho, and he worked on the original Godzilla and most of its sequels. He was also the creator of Ultraman, and he kind of honed this craft, and it became sort of a trademark of the Japanese film industry to do these sorts of handcrafted special effects, where realism was really not the point of these things. It was about this kind of illusion. It was about this kind of magic. You know, it was about you know, doing things with puppets, doing things with suits, doing things with miniatures, doing as much of it as you could like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think sometimes a really apt analogy is that E.G. Subraya was kind of like Japan's Jim Henson and the fact that Jim Henson was driven to try and do everything he could with a puppet, right? You know, that's why he did movies later on like uh, The Dark Crystal and Labyrinth where you know, he was like, I'm going to do these grand fantasy epics completely with puppets, you know, yeah. or try to do most of it with puppets because that that was his sort of aesthetic bent. And that became Subraya's aesthetic bent as well with suits, miniatures, models, all of that kind of thing. And it got picked up by other people coming after Subraya who idolized him. And it was perpetuated through Japan and it became really the status quo and it became something that Japanese filmmakers, even up to today, have continued to emulate and continue to do and are very proud of. In fact, about a year or two ago now, the uh, Tokyo Metropolitan Museum of the Arts, I hope I got that right, (laughs) uh, did an entire summer-long tokosatsu exhibit that was hosted by uh, Hideke Anno and uh, Shinji Higuchi, who are two fairly big-shot Japanese directors. And Anno, in particular, uh, made a statement in one interview in a newspaper where he said something to the effect of, you know, everybody nowadays, as far as pop culture, knows about Japan because of anime. But we should be more proud of our tokosatsu than we are of anime, Hmm. because that was something that we did first and that is really unique and that we are still doing. Uh, So and and in fact, it's becoming a larger and larger thing. In fact, I sometimes wonder if tokusatsu is not going to become the new anime in the next couple of years because it seems like there's a building public awareness of it, including the fact, and this really surprised me, that um, last year in, uh, I think it was on Memorial Day, but I might be wrong. It actually might have been a year ago uh, for this coming up weekend. The New York Times ran a front-page story on the tokusatsu industry in Japan. Hmm. It was uh, it was uh, called um, I forget what it was called actually the exact title. They had some kind of slightly silly title, but that really surprised a lot of people. That suddenly there was this major attention on the fact that Japan had this particular kind of special effects. They'd continue doing them even in the face of new technology like CGI, and they were continuing to hone this craft. And they were really, really proud of it. And there was a real concern, that's what the focus of this article was on, about the possibility that it might be going away um, because of increasing pressure to try and um, compete with the Hollywood market and to use photorealistic CGI the way that we do. So I know that was really long-winded, and I apologize for <laughs> no. that. But the, 
But that that gets around to, at least for me, what a big part of the appeal of these movies is, which is that I adore the special effects in these movies. I love looking at the miniature work that E.G. Subraya and his people did. I love looking at the suits, you know, in both the old stuff and the modern stuff. And I love how in the modern stuff, how good it's gotten. You know, I love that practicality. I, I think like a lot of uh, a lot of science fiction or horror film fans, you know, I have a penchant for practical effects i like seeing something that i know is really in front of the camera as opposed to just pixels from a computer with cgi so that's that for me anyway is a huge part of the appeal and so definitely when i talk to people and they say you know oh yeah those movies are so silly you know they were in rubber costumes or whatever you know they you know everything i'm like you know i don't think you've really ever taken the time to fully appreciate you know, the, the amount of work that went into this, the amount of skill that went into this. And I know with the new movie coming out, I've actually taken the opportunity. I've been showing some people, co-workers, friends, that kind of thing, uh, pictures and books that I have of like these massive sets that they built for the original films that took up whole sound stages. And and I've gotten people who have never seen these movies, but they'll look at these pictures and their jaws will drop and they'll be like, I can't believe they built that. Like, that's amazing. You know, nobody does stuff like that. They Some of these people are, are, you know, kids who have never seen a movie that even uses these kinds of effects. They think everything's done on a computer. Yeah. So that, that for me is a huge part of it is the, uh, as actually the effects themselves, how these movies are done. I, I love that part of them. Yeah. And, I, and aside from that, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I was just gonna say, aside from that, they're just a lot of fun for me. You know, I mean, it's just it's fun. It's it's good pulpy science fiction fun. Giant monsters fighting. You know I don't I see I don't see what's not to love. Indeed, and uh, yeah, I mean it, it is cool to see that di- the the different kind of aspect. I mean because you have like the man in suit type stuff, and then what we were doing kind of over in America with you know like Beast from Twenty Thousand Fathoms and something like that, who's almost kind of like a you know very similar idea to Godzilla itself, but all done within stop motion and and what those two different things and you know the different aesthetic between them and both have their you know their good and you know bad things about them, but uh, good stuff, man. All right, so with. Uh, with that in mind, uh, I, we, we need to answer the question, has Godzilla's you know, new Hollywood treatment lived up to the old, uh, what, 20, how many Godzilla movies? 20-something? There are, there are 28 Japanese Godzilla films. If you count the 98 one and this one, there are now 30. So, so is, is Godzilla number 30? Uh, worthy of any of those ones in the past uh, let's, uh, let's stop real quick and take a listen to the trailer for Godzilla I want to talk to somebody in charge You are not fooling anybody when you say that what happened was a natural disaster You're lying It was not an earthquake It wasn't a typhoon because what's really happening is that you're hiding something out there. And it is gonna send us back to the Stone Age.
1954, we awakened something. Well, there's nuclear tests in the Pacific. Not tests. They were trying to kill it. was the trailer for Godzilla, our new release review of this week, uh, directed by uh, Gareth Edwards, who had previously brought us a, a very low, low-budget monster movie, uh, appropriately enough, titled Monsters, uh, starring Aaron Taylor Johnson, uh, Ken Watanabe, Brian Cranston, Elizabeth Olsen, and uh, I, I gotta say, uh, let's... I'll start out here because I am kind of the uh, I'm the I'll say admitted kind of Godzilla neophyte. Like I said, I uh, really only had seen the original '54 one, and uh, I'm sure that you would like to uh, let people know about this one. There is a difference between the original 1954 Japanese Godzilla or Gojira and Godzilla King of All Monsters. Those are one has Raymond Burr and one doesn't. So uh, they are they are different things. Um. <laughs> But uh, I, I'd say overall, uh, I did enjoy this movie. Um, I I don't think I was really blown away by it by any means. I was blown away by certain many aspects of the movie. Uh, here is the uh, IMDb logline. And uh, as, as any fans of this, this show knows, uh, these are always 100% accurate and on point. So whenever I read one, I'm like, <laughs> who knows what it, what it could really mean. Uh, here's their here's their logline. Uh, the world's most famous monster is pitted against a, a pitted against malevolent creatures who, bolstered by humanity's specific arrogance, threaten our very existence. When you're vague like that, it's not too bad. Uh, IMTP. But uh, like I said, I, I enjoyed the movie overall. But um, I, I really I got to see where the uh, where the super Godzilla nerd fan falls. Where, where, how did you how did you really like this movie? Um, or did well, you? <laughs> for me, this well, for me, this was interesting because so leading into this film, I was actually I, I don't want to say I was against it, but I, what I've been saying is I was actually very cynical uh, coming up on it for quite a while when it was originally announced. And and something interesting that your your readers might find interesting is that actually talk about this film goes back much farther than I think even most people realize. So the last Godzilla movie that Toho Studios in Japan did was in 2004 for the 60th anniversary, and that was Godzilla Final Wars. Well, immediately the very next year, 2005, there started being talks about the fact that um, Yoshimitsu Bano, 
who was the director of the film Godzilla vs. the Smog Monster from the early 70s, uh, went into talks with Toho about possibly doing another Godzilla film following the 60th anniversary release, and one that he specifically wanted to be able to shoot for IMAX and in, uh, in, in 3D. Hmm. He was... Because uh, Bono, in particular, after he kind of stepped away from writing and directing films in the in the 70s, went on to become a huge proponent of uh, JPAX, which is the Japanese version of IMAX. But anyway, so he immediately went to talks about this. And so for fans, this kind of rumor has been circulating for a long time, and it got progressively like more and more complicated as it went uh, over the years because um, you know, for a long time this seemed to be something that there was going to be done in-house by Toho again, and then into Hollywood, he was looking into getting American American financing, uh, that kind of thing, uh, to do this movie. And then, of course, around late 2009, early 2010, was when the announcement came through that he and Toho, by extension, had brokered a deal with uh, Legendary Pictures to do this movie. And at the time, I know myself and a lot of other fans were really excited. Obviously, we wanted a new Godzilla movie. It had been quite a while at that point. Um, but then, you know, there was kind of a, a certain degree of radio silence for a while. We didn't really hear anything. It seemed like originally the film was supposed to come out in 2012. That didn't happen. We found it got pushed back to 2014 for the 60th anniversary. And so for me, the, the part where my kind of cynicism really about it kicked in was... One, the fact that it sort of ended up, we found out, circulating through a, a series of different writers. Uh, as, I, as I imagine you probably know, you know, this was, uh, you know, it went through passes by David Callahan, the guy who did The Expendables. And then uh, it was handed off to Max Borstein, the guy who ended up getting screenplay credit for it. But then it was polished a little bit by... Um, uh, I think uh, both Frank Darabont and I think even David Goyer had a couple passes at it. You know, it really sounded like this was kind of being written by committee. And yeah. so for me as a fan, that was sort of discouraging. And then, of course, in early 2011, when they announced that Gareth Edwards was the director, um, I had not liked Monsters. I didn't like that movie one bit. And so when Gareth Edwards got announced as the director, I was like, oh, great. <laughs> um and so for and and so for a long time then you know there wasn't a lot of news about the production there wasn't really anything coming out and i don't know i maybe it's just like a fan's tendency or something i think people either assume the best or they assume the worst and i was kind of leaning more always towards the worst side about it um you know, and it, it took them a long time to kind of win me over, and it was really only in the last six months, building up to the actual release of the film, like Edward started talking more loosely in interviews. He stopped being so so tight-lipped about things, and more and more trailers started coming through, and I started getting a little bit more excited about the film. And then, really, it was probably in like the last two weeks before the movie came out that I found myself like really kind of psyched, really thinking, you know, oh wow, this is this is probably actually going to be really good, and you know, my short version of it is when I actually finally saw the film. Yeah, I thought it was I thought it was great. I thought it was a nice sort of throwback to the classic Godzilla movies in a lot of ways in its in its simplicity, in its scope and what it was trying to do, which 
I was really happy about because even though I know probably a lot of people might have wanted something more ambitious, I'm kind of glad that with this being only the second Hollywood outing for Godzilla, that they did try to play it maybe a little bit safe and a little bit by the books, and they didn't try to do something uh, really, really out there with it. You know, there was a lot of talk about because it was legendary, them trying to sort of, I don't know, like dirty it up or darken it up in the way that Christopher Nolan did the Batman movies. And to a large extent, that kind of thing terrified me because, you know, I, especially with Godzilla, I mean, I understand the original film being an allegory for the atomic bombings of Japan and, mm. you know, the fact that it's cathartic and the fact that it is actually a very dark and serious movie. But that's not what the franchise became over time and that's not what's propelled it over the years to international um you know, sort of notoriety. And in particular, you know, I don't know if I've ever met a Godzilla fan who became a Godzilla fan when they were 30. I've met Godzilla fans who became fans when they were three. And that's a big thing in particular is I think you need to be able to take children to a Godzilla movie and they need to be able to get excited about seeing this really cool dinosaur up on screen. You don't need to be scaring them with horrific graphic depictions of people being like stomped in the streets. Which is so, which is an you know, interesting just, point that you brought up there because I I mean there was I, I would say in in my screening I went like a, like a Thursday night you know just the first uh, showing there at the IMAX and uh, there was a right. large contingency of families and uh, with, with I, I don't want to say small children but you know children in the age ranges of like eight nine you know kind of above that and everything. And uh, they really did enjoy it. They're like these kids, they really dug it. They enjoyed what they saw on screen. And it's interesting that you say that how they want to kind of maybe tailor it a little bit towards those kids. But at the same time, I tell you what, I watched this thing and I was like, damn, there is a lot. The people are straight up dying a hell of a lot in this film. I mean, you don't, it's not gory or anything, but damn, I we you see a lot of on screen deaths in this or very well implied deaths. That was something I, I was. I, think, I don't know yeah, why I was so shocked at that, but it was like a lot. Of, I'm like, damn, we are really seeing a lot of people get killed. You know, and I think that that's good um, to a, to an extent. I mean, I think that that was something Gareth Edwards emphasized. It seemed like in a lot of interviews that he wanted to try and add a lot of weight to this movie to. Um, get it across that there was a human casualty to having these kinds of monsters slug it out in a city because that's something that a lot of the Toho films over the years, I think, uh, because they were family films and then later on they were directly children's films. That's something else I imagine a lot of people probably don't know is most of the Godzilla movies historically have always been uh, actually in Japan Christmas releases. Hmm. That's when they come out over there is around that time. Um, because that is the big sort of you know holiday movie season, and and people go with their families to see these films, and then later on some of them were directly targeted actually at very young children. They were partnered with anime type films or stuff for for other for little kids. So you know they they're seen as being as being like you know sort of wholesome, good for everybody kind of entertainment to a degree. And so they've never been particularly graphic or violent and in any of their kinds of depictions. And even though there are, you know, tanks being blown up or buildings being smashed, you know, there, there's this sort of thing where 
you know, you kind of forget that there are people in there or you somehow imagine that there aren't people in there or something like that. Like, and I think that's why the Toho movies always have those classic scenes where you see these ridiculous, like evacuations of everybody <laughs> and their, their, their dog running out of the city, you know? So by the time the monsters get into the city, you think, Oh, there's nobody in there. Clearly everybody left. Whereas in this film, you know, it's, it's very obvious that there, I mean, that's a big part of the plot is that there are a lot of people still in San Francisco by the time Godzilla and the other monsters get there and start, um, you know, beating each other up. So, yeah. And I thought that was, that was one of the, that I, I enjoyed the fact that it really, it made it seem like there were actual stakes and stuff in there. And especially with, you know, kind of some of our, you know, more recent movies. I mean, for example, uh, you know, man of steel, there was so much city destruction in that, and like we didn't see anybody die, but man, you, you figure a lot of people have got to be dead in that, and it really, it didn't seem like the movie took that seriously at all. But this, you really do start to see those, uh, uh, you know, ramifications of what something like this would actually entail, which is people are gonna die, and you know. There's not a whole heck of a lot you can do about it unless they do a certain thing, but we'll cover that a little bit in spoilers. Um, uh, yeah. So essentially, uh, they kind of... Now, you can tell me if I'm wrong about this because it's been a while since I've watched the original Godzilla and I need to get that on... Uh, it's on Criterion Blu-ray and I need to pick that up. Um, but they do a little bit of a... It's kind of a rewrite, if you will, on kind of the origin of Godzilla itself. Now, in this one, it's like in 1954, they're, you know, kind of doing some testing on the, in the uh, Bikini Islands and whatnot. And according to them, uh, as you heard in the trailer, it's like we were trying to, uh, you know, we weren't trying to kill him. We were trying to kind of, you know, get his attention more or less. And uh, so Godzilla kind of stays dormant unless he sort of... N in a sense, needed. And uh, you and I talked a little previously uh, about uh, about some other different uh, movies and whatnot. And now you compared this Godzilla a little bit to um, the Gamera films. And yeah, so in a sense, I kind of see that because, or at least in the couple of you know, and my Gamera knowledge does not go. And you, you kind of schooled me to some newer Gamera that I was unaware of, but I kind of knew some of the Gamera stuff that we've seen from the seventies that you saw, like on Mystery Science Theater and whatnot. But Gamera was very much kind of a, oh well, we need you to come out fight this baddie, and then you know you'll fly off in a ball of fire into space or wherever the hell you go. Yeah, that was that was one of the things that was really interesting. So for listeners who might not be aware, uh, in the in the mid '90s, uh, there was sort of another, there was a, a second boom, if you will, of uh, kaiju movies or Japanese monster movies in Japan. The first one uh, was in the late 1960s, and so there was a second one that was in the early 1990s. Uh, the Godzilla series had been revived at that point. It was doing. Uh, fairly well and then other studios wanted to get in on that and so Daiei Studios the people who do the Gamera movies which uh, Gamera again for anyone not familiar is a is a kaiju movie series that involves a giant bipedal turtle with tusks who breathes fire and most unique attribute can tuck his limbs inside his shell and fly like a flying saucer. Why don't they just, I mean, so, all you're hearing is that repeated every other week in Hollywood. I mean, come <laughs> on. <laughs> but so in the uh, 
in 95, a, a young aspiring Japanese director by the name of uh, Shusuke Kaneko uh, put together a really kind of avant-garde team of, of individuals, including um, the, the screenwriter for such famous anime movies as Ghost in the Shell and Pat Labor, a special effects artist by the name of Shinji Higuchi, who's gone on to become very famous. I mentioned him earlier as being involved with that tokusatsu exhibit. Uh, uh, and he put these he got these people together to basically reboot the Gamera series and he ended up doing a trilogy of films which are generally just referred to by fans as like the 90s Gamera trilogy or the Kaneko Gamera trilogy and these films are actually considered by many many people to be the high watermark for the kaiju genre uh, nobody saw this coming, but Kaneko sort of blew us all away with his Gamera movies. But one of the things that he did was he re-envisioned this idea of Gamera as basically being this sort of ancient creature that existed on Earth who was this like primordial guardian. And Gamera's job was to guard the Earth and protect it and make sure that if anything ever arose, if things fell out of balance, if you will, usually because of stuff that people were doing... Uh, he and um, and other monsters appeared as a result of things that people were doing. Gamera would arise and he would uh, protect the protect the earth, protect everybody. And in the early parts of the uh, in the first two installments of this trilogy, Gamera really kind of seems to be also protecting humanity. But by the third film, which is the one that everyone regards as being the best out of them, this is one of those odd exceptions where the third film in a trilogy <laughs> is seen as being the best in the trilogy. Uh, in the third film, uh, the situation has gotten so bad that Gamera has basically now changed his policy to be, well, it doesn't matter. If people get in my way, then they get in my way. And so there are scenes in that movie, including a an opening fight that takes place in the Japanese city of uh, Shinjuku, where Gamera, it's, it's an amazing sequence, all done with practical effects, where Gamera fights this other monster, a, a, a pterodactyl-type creature called a Gauss, and in the pro it slaughters it brutally, um, but in the process also barbecues probably half of Shinjuku's inhabitants at the time. Right. It's just that's how bad the situation's gotten is Gamera can't afford to look out for people. He's just got to make sure that the planet as a whole uh, survives. And so what was interesting was when I was watching this new Godzilla movie, that was one of the first things. Some of the way they were setting up Godzilla and setting up his character with uh, Ken Watanabe's uh, scientist character talking about, you know, Godzilla is this guardian. Godzilla protects the balance. He is nature's, you know. He, he is this force that nature has put in place to keep things in check, you know, and, and now that we've allowed things to get out of hand with these other monsters, the mutos, as they've called, Godzilla's going to come and it's going to be a lot worse for us because he's not going to care who gets in his way. He's going to do whatever it takes to to kill these things and to restore balance. And a lot of that kind of dialogue with Wananabe saying that, I remember just sitting there in the theater going, Gamera. This sounds just like the Gamera films. And in fact, when I got out of my first showing, uh, the two guys I was there with who have both also seen the Gamera trilogy, that was the first thing I said. I just looked at and said, we just watched a Gamera movie with Godzilla and it didn't we? And they were both like, yeah, we kind of did. <laughs> so, and I've seen that a lot 
online now actually in the different like fan groups that i hang out with and people that i'm fans with that's been a very common sort of like status on facebook from people they're like just got back from legendary's gamma i mean godzilla movie (laughs) so you know um but that yeah that was something that really surprised i think a lot of people because legendary seemed to be selling us this very kind of you know uh, seemed to be selling us a movie where godzilla would if not be the villain then at least be a, a sort of anti-hero and in fact that's at least i feel that's not really what we get in the movie we get something much more in line with kind of the classic late 60s godzilla movies where you know he's he's a hero granted he's a kind of hero who again if you get in his way you probably won't survive it but he's he's certainly not a villain and even though he does cause a lot of collateral damage it's never it never seems to be intentional or on purpose, I thought, you mm-hmm. know? I mean, when he comes to shore in Hawaii, you, you know the scene I'm talking about. You know, it causes this typhoon, but it's not like he's deliberately causing this typhoon. It's just a result of the fact that he's displacing <laughs> he's so much water. He's a 300-foot-tall monster bowl. coming out of the ocean. It's going to happen. <laughs> right. It's, it's going to happen, you know? And even in those scenes, I thought that was interesting that you see all these people kind of running away, but... There's at least that one family that Edward's kind of zeroed in on, and you see they get out of the way, so they're not hurt. And then even then, when you've got the people looking down from the rooftops at, like, the streets being flooded, it's not like he's got, like, corpses in the water or anything. It's just water. Yeah. You know, so they've, they've definitely got that implied kind of violence that you were talking about. But again, it mostly just seems like, you know, collateral damage. This is just what's going to happen when Godzilla shows up, you know? So that, I thought that was, uh, that was definitely very interesting. The fact that that was the, that was the angle that they went with. But again, you know, as far as me being a fan, I was fairly happy with that. I, I imagine there'll probably definitely be some fans. I don't know them personally who will be, uh, more upset that we did not get a, a violent a more violent, more evil Godzilla in this movie. Um, but, you know, that was, I guess that was just, a, that was just a decision that apparently Gareth Edwards and, and Max Porstein made. Edwards has, he seemed to become fond lately of talking about Godzilla as being like some kind of a, of samurai, you know, like last samurai here to, <laughs> to watch over us. Uh, so that's an interesting idea. Speaking of uh, kind of angle, uh, I, I thought that was one of the more interesting parts about this. Now I don't know what your screening was like, but I went to the uh, w- it, technically it's a Fomax, uh, <laughs> Fomax uh, 3D and everything, <laughs> basically because I like seeing things on the biggest screen I can with the best audio that I can, and uh, so I'll pay a little extra for that. The 3D usually, you know, I'm, I enjoy 3D more than probably most people do. Uh, but it's it's not necessarily a make or break for me. But uh, I will say this: I I loved how this was this was a very kind of what I like to call a low camera angle movie. This was uh, most of this movie was shot and seemed to be much lower angles than you would see in these large kind of spectacle type films. The camera usually goes up and not down, and uh, it really gives you a sense of actually being there. It's a very kind of, while it's a giant sprawling film, it's also a very intimate film in the same way where you can really feel as if you were in these um, 
particular situations. Now, the uh, the DP has recently come out in um, American Cinematographer magazine saying he absolutely abhors 3D. He's like, there's no, you know, 2D is where film is. This is all, all how it works. And I got to say, I'm sorry to him, but the 3D that was used in this was actually used, I thought, pretty damn well. Uh, I, I enjoyed how well they used it on a lot of things and it made me it had that very immersive type feeling as if I was there there are a couple of times where you know things are coming right near you and like there's one where Godzilla looks straight down the barrel of the camera and it's affecting as hell it's it works it for me it worked on almost every level and I really enjoyed it it made you feel what it would feel like to be within you know, the goings-on of this movie, where there's destruction and everything around you and how you would react to it. And it was far more engrossing and engaging than I had expected it to be. And that was a very welcome uh, thing from usually very kind of out outside of everything that you normally get with giant action films. I think that that's something that Gareth Edwards definitely seems to have a talent for. It, it was obvious in Monsters, and I think that what makes this film so much more enjoyable for me than that movie is that is is partly because I think of the budget, and partly because Edwards knew he was making a Godzilla movie, and and he even has said in a in some recent interviews that I've read that you know he knows there are certain required shots that you have to have in a Godzilla movie, such as the 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 not low angle, but rather, you know, kind of almost like sky camera shot of the two monsters, like facing off against each other, you know, like staring each other down and that kind of thing. But no, Edwards definitely has a real talent, I think, for shooting monsters or just giant things in general from points of view where you don't usually uh, get to see them, which made this movie a lot of fun and and really interesting. You know, these sorts of, you know, perspectives of people on the ground or people looking down from skyscrapers that are slightly higher than the monsters are or being on a bridge or being inside of a bus looking out as Godzilla's you know smashing his way through a bridge that that bus is on that kind of stuff for me was all a lot of fun and and, and just great I thought in terms of where Edwards was having them put the camera and the way that they were showing things and I really appreciated that so it's it's nice to see an action movie and feel like you're you know that you know you're with these characters and that they're actually in peril and then while everything is you know the majority of stuff is CGI it's done so well and that's also what I want to praise right here is something that uh really astounded me in this movie was how well the characterization of Godzilla was via this CGI now I know uh, they brought him in a little bit late to the project, and I'm really not surprised when I when you look at it. But Andy Serkis and his guys had something to do with you know how Godzilla was kind of animated, how he moved and stuff. And really, there's nobody else in this business that's better than him at that. I mean, he's just <laughs> hands down the best kind of mocap and uh, you know just sort of captured. They didn't quite do mocap with him, but they just more or less kind of did it after his uh, you know uh, movements and whatnot. But uh, there was really a lot of, uh, you know, (laughs) for lack of a better word, humanity behind Godzilla's eyes. You could really, I mean, it didn't look like, you know, it was an empty vessel there. It was one of the better times where I've ever seen an actual monster, and it seemed like something was going on behind the eyes and not just a vacant stare of some CGI monster. 
And also, with the way that they animated Godzilla, it very much looked like a guy in a suit. I mean, it didn't seem cheesy or anything, but, you know, if you could imagine, you know, some sort of animatronic-type head going at the top of it, you could see, oh, yeah, I could see how there could be a dude inside of this thing. And I, I really enjoyed that and thought that was one of the—that was one of my highlights, to really see the way Godzilla moved, and it seemed— like there could be a dude in a suit, but obviously, you know, so far in advance that there's there's no way that was possible. But I really, I really, really like that. Yeah, one of the things I've already gotten the uh, the book Godzilla: The Art of Destruction, which is the art of book that they did for this film, and there's a particular quote in it that I really like, where it's in a section where it's got all of the. Um, rejected concept art for Godzilla on this movie and Gareth Edwards has little explanations next to each piece about why he rejected it and there's one piece in particular where um they it was a it was a fairly kind of almost radical little bit of a redesign Godzilla looked a little bit more dinosaurish and the main difference though was that instead of the more traditional kind of spiky black plates they put like porcupine quills on him <laughs> And Gareth Edwards' little note about that was he says, I honestly love this design. I think this is such a cool monster, but it's not Godzilla. And the really important thing for us on this movie was to remember that we can design really cool monsters and they still not be Godzilla. Um, which I think is is one of the big key differences if you want to start playing the game of contrasting, you know, this film versus the 98 one by Roland Emmerich, because that was definitely something with that film and the, the creature design that went on there, which was that Emmerich did not want Godzilla. He wanted something really cool and sleek and Jurassic Park inspired yeah. that he could put in his film. Um, that was just, you know, it was it was it was a little too far from what people recognize as being that character, you know, he did not, he was not interested in, in remaining faithful to sort of the iconic silhouette of Godzilla. And, and, you know, that was something they did do here is they, they remained very faithful to it. And, you know, the, the only complaint that I've heard that's been popular amongst a lot of fans was that they don't like the fact that Edwards decided to give Godzilla these sorts of sauropod feet where he doesn't really have claws. And so they just kind of end in, in almost like, you know, a series of nails or, or hoofs. But other than that, people have been really ecstatic about this design, really accepting of it, it seems like. You know, it looks like Godzilla. In particular, I was thinking about this when you were talking about the amount of humanity in Godzilla's face. The thing that struck me, and I've seen the movie twice now, and both times, what really got me was how old Godzilla looks. He looks ancient. I mean, you really believe that he's something from like the dawn of Earth's history and he's been around and he's seen some shit, you know, <laughs> and he's been involved in some stuff, you know, and and almost, you know, it almost kind of reminded me of like Frank Miller's Batman for people who read comics because it just made me think about like, you know, Godzilla's like old, he's tired, he should be retired, but it's like stuff keeps getting messed up and so he has to keep rising to the occasion to like fix it, you know, but he would really just rather be on like Monster Island enjoying like his golden years or something. Okay. So, okay. and I enjoyed that. I thought that was a nice aspect of the character to, to, to look at that and see Godzilla look so kind of like old and weather that was a godzilla we haven't seen before so we can do it for part three uh part two you gotta work up something else but part three here's what i see 
It's Godzilla and Camera basically doing Lethal Weapon. <laughs> Godzilla, <laughs> Godzilla's like, I'm getting too old for this shit. <laughs> and then Camera just plays a crazy, psychotic uh, Australian guy. <laughs> I want to see that. Legendary, put it down, 2020. Do it. Um, yeah, so let's, uh, I tell you what, we got a couple more minutes here. Um, let us get into spoilers. Uh, so here's the spoiler thing, if it'll work, hopefully, maybe, maybe. (laughs) Doing the show on the, on, on the live, everybody. The following contains spoilers. You have been warned. Eh, Better late than never. (laughs) It never works like you want it to. But yeah, so spoilers for this point on out. Let's get to one of the, uh, I would say, more kind of controversial things in this film. Um, As you heard in the trailer, we have Brian Cranston, of who we really haven't talked a lot about, and there's a particular reason why. Brian Cranston is really only in this film for maybe 20 or 30 minutes. He gets killed off early on. I, th- Me, I thought it was a great thing. But I think a lot of people were pissed off because the way that the trailer and a lot of things you know, kind of markets this to you is Brian Cranston uh, is going against Godzilla or will be involved in the majority of this film and it ends up being Aaron Taylor Johnson, who is a nice enough guy, but, you know, I mean... And, by the way, he looks completely different from Kick-Ass. I just, like, I kept going the whole movie, I'm like, where the hell do I know this guy? But he buffed up a lot and shaved off a lot of hair from uh, Kick-Ass, so couldn't quite recognize him. But, um... What are your thoughts on the kind of what, what I like to call the Janet Leeing of Brian Cranston in this film? I thought it was a great move. You know, I had actually this was something that because because as a fan, I'd watch these trailers over and over trying to gleam as much information as I could. And it was funny. I had had a suspicion for a little while that I hadn't really talked about to a lot of people that I thought Brian Cranston's character might get killed off early on because he seemed to be you know, featured in very specific shots always, you know, usually from his, you know, it's going to send us back to the Stone Age sort of monologue. Yeah. Um, and then you you never really saw him in anything else. You know, you would have these shots that I kind of figured were definitely from the end of the movie where you've got Ken Watanabe and Sally Hawkins and the past. Nope. And you never, you never saw Brian Cranston. And so for me, it was just like, maybe maybe something happens to him and and when it did you know i was like oh wow you know i i i was i was right about that but you know it, it wasn't even just that it's like you know as as far as how i feel about them killing him off i guess i'm not i'm not thrilled about it and my whole reason for not being thrilled about it is because then we have to spend the rest of the movie with aaron tyler johnson's character yeah. who is frankly not very interesting so and that's something I guess if, if we, we want to talk more about is I don't know how you feel about this, but for me, if if there's one thing that I think hurts this movie or that I, I dislike about it, it is the fact that I feel that the human characters are really, really kind of um, superfluous to the plot. Like they, they are not doing a whole lot here, um, you know, and and the ones that are doing a whole lot are not like Aaron Tyler Johnson, are not then particularly charismatic or interesting. 
Now, it's a good point that you mentioned that because that's also another thing that people have a big problem with with this entire thing is that, you know, really the lack of Godzilla screen time in this entire thing. I would say the majority of our monster time is spent with the Mutos and uh, their kind of destruction of uh, what from Vegas to San Francisco and Philippines to Hawaii and all the way to San Francisco. Um it, we really don't get a whole heck of a lot of Godzilla time on screen. We're dealing with a lot of the human element, but the characters themselves really are kind of boring, and uh, they don't add a whole lot, but yet the majority of the story ends up relying on us caring about them. Now, I cared about them to a degree, but probably not nearly as much as you would want them to, and it was always kind of a, he just happens to land in the right place at the right time to do the right thing, and he happens to have that particular set of skills that are needed for this particular thing. And that was, well, like it was a the, little bothersome. Yeah, well, like in the case of, uh, of Johnson's character, you know, I found his, his whole story arc kind of contradictory and, and, and confusing because, you know, he's got this, this he, he goes to Japan to see his father, and so then his 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 father, Brian Cranston's character, and then he's killed off. So then he's not really left with any particular motivation, except the fact that he's got to get back to San Francisco to where his wife and child are. Um, but then it ends up becoming, but that doesn't seem to amount to a whole lot. And then by the end of the movie, his motivation has changed again. in the fact that they now need him to go into San Francisco, the military does and disarm this atomic bomb that they've lost in the middle of the city, uh, that they were going to try to use to kill the monsters, but that whole plan has, has fallen apart on them, you know? So they keep jumping around with why he's in this story, why he's involved at all. And, you know, to me, it just seems like you could have picked one of those, and I frankly think the bomb story seems the best because it is germane to the plot and because Elizabeth Olsen, as his wife, doesn't add a whole lot to the movie, I felt. Um, you know, you could have just stuck with that and had that be the entire thing the whole time of him just being this soldier who is part of this military unit who gets assigned to deal with Godzilla. You know, this situation that nobody's ever dealt with before, which was going back to the very first teaser trailer, you know, where they the, the Halo jump teaser trailer that was what they were selling us on was this kind of idea of you know you've got these soldiers yeah. who are being asked to deal with a situation that nobody's ever even thought would be possible before which is giant monsters destroying a city and that was interesting you know especially because they don't have jaegers like in pacific rim or anything they've got to do this you know with real life uh skills and real life tech you know but uh that that wasn't that wasn't uh, the clear motivation for his character, you know. So that was something that I found kind of uh, aggravating in the movie. Yeah, and really, like like you said, with Elizabeth Olsen's character, and, and like and and as an actress, I really like her a whole bunch. And she really oh, has she's no a great she has nothing to do in this film, and like uh, you know, she's literally relegated underground. It's like go underground to be gone for the next forty five minutes. Bleh, goodbye. It really it means nothing. She means nothing to the plot other than she offers nothing else other than something that he needs to get home to. And it's it's pretty weak overall. So I guess that about wraps it up. Uh, what what are you? Let's just give uh, your overall thoughts of the film and uh, what do we what do we want to see with the next one that apparently is happening. 
my overall thoughts is that, uh, you know, as a Godzilla fan, as a lifelong fan of this kind of stuff, you know, I'm really happy that they're still making these films, that the, the this franchise is going to go on, that's going to continue. I think that this was a really uh, solid second effort out of Hollywood um, to do a Godzilla movie. You know, I think that they, they played it a little bit safe in certain regards, but I'm kind of happy uh, that they did that. I do wish the human element of the story could have been stronger, that they could have been more engaging, but they definitely got the Godzilla stuff down. They got the kaiju action down, um, which is what people are, are paying to go see. So, you know, overall, I recommend it. I'm, I'm really happy that's doing so well at the box office, uh, that people are really interested in this movie uh, and and that they're going to get a sequel out of it. So and that it it helps to you know spread awareness of the franchise and hopefully you know raise its reputation a little bit. Like I was saying at the beginning, you know, hopefully get people to maybe go back and look at the older classic Godzilla films and some of the other kaiju films and and give them a fair shake. You know, go you know maybe these aren't just silly campy movies. Maybe there's something here that's led up to this recent Hollywood film that I like so much. Um, and maybe there's something in those old movies that I'd like to see more in modern day Hollywood movies, like more practical effects or things would be my wish. But as far as the next Godzilla movie, you know, I think one of the big things that I found really interesting was the constant and continued rumors that just were springing up all over every news and media website about whether or not there was going to be another Toho monster in this movie, like Mothra or Rodan or King Ghidorah or somebody, even after Gareth Edwards and Thomas Toll and Max Borstein and everybody involved with the production made it very, very clear explicitly clear numerous times that there were no other Toho monsters in this movie. Every time we would get a new trailer, somebody would inevitably think that one of the Mutos or something was Mothra or Rodan or some monster. And so what that tells me is that people not only want to see a return of Godzilla, they want to see a return of the rest of the creatures that exist in the Godzilla universe and in the Pantheon and that people are ready for that kind of thing. And so if Toho's willing and Legendary can get the rights, you know, what I'd love to see in future films in this in this new rebooted franchise is a return to some of those old classic Toho monsters. I'd like to see what Gareth Edwards would do with Mothra, uh, who's such a fantasy creature, so different than the rest of his universe, or what he would do with somebody like King Ghidorah, this golden three-headed dragon whose entire MO is that it, it wipes out planets in the universe, apparently just for kicks, <laughs> you know? So that that would be the kind of thing that I'd love to see in future installments. Yeah, I think I uh, I pretty much agree wholeheartedly. Uh, I I really uh, I enjoyed it. I, I won't go so far as to say I absolutely loved it. Uh, I I certainly had a more fun time with Pacific Rim. I really really dug that movie, and I I found it uh, kind of sad that it didn't do as well as it did. But is this movie really helps bolster that kind of like. At least, see, Godzilla is a name that people recognize. People weren't quite sure what Pacific Rim was or what it all entailed and everything like that. And um, it did well enough overseas and on video and stuff like that to where, you know, and Legendary is very open because the same company that's doing this Godzilla, they're very opening to doing a Pacific Rim too. And I, I hope if this Godzilla film does nothing, it helps kind of bolster the idea that, hey, Pacific Rim not only, you know, needs a sequel, but can... Uh, 
really help foster that sequel and, you know, be even bigger. And maybe, you know, who knows? Maybe this could be a subgenre type movie for, you know, for this country for a while. Who knows? But, uh, yeah, I, I definitely... Um, I enjoyed Godzilla, and I can't believe we didn't talk about the most awesome part of that. We got to do that real quick before we end up here. Um, I was really so we have the kind of final battle with Godzilla and everything, and he goes for the Muto's mouth. And I really, for a second, I was very disappointed. I was just like, oh man, we've been doing this since the 30s with God, with uh, King Kong. I thought he was just going to pry open the jaw, and that was going to be it. When he looked down that motherfucker's mouth and blew fire, whatever the fuck it was, down. The, Everybody in our auditorium clapped. It was so awesome. That was one of the, and that like, that was the biggest time where I was like, it made me kind of sit up in my seat and just go, oh, hell yes. It was so cool. And, uh, but so I hope to see more of that kind of crazy awesomeness in the sequel and just a lot, you know, kind of have that, uh, have Godzilla be a lot like superhero movies where it's like the first one, we get the kind of origin. And then once all that's out of the way, by the time we hit that second one, we're off, you know, we're off and running and everything can go big and giant and crazy. And we can just have a super amount of fun. And so that's really where I hope where they go with the, uh, Godzilla sequel. So, uh, I definitely suggest people go out and see it on the biggest screen that they possibly can. And with the best sound that they possibly can. Cause when you, when you have that and you know, the bass hits and kind of rattles your chest and stuff, it's, uh, totally worth it. So uh, that is it, everybody, for uh, this week's episode of The Film Find. You can go to thefilmfind.com. Be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes there, as well as follow us on Twitter and Facebook and all that social media garbage. All the links are there on the left-hand side of the page, along with the link to the Superhero Movie Podcast, which will be coming back next week with X-Men Days of Future Past. Uh Hopefully, we'll be doing something on this channel as well. So, we'll have the X-Men Days of Future Past on HeroMoviePodcast.com. I'll remind you next week. Don't worry. And uh, then we'll be reviewing something else on the Film Find podcast next week. Maybe it's Locke. Maybe we thought about maybe this Chris Claremont documentary. Uh, we don't know yet. <laughs> and it might be me and Matt. It might just be Matt. It might be just me. Who knows? But it's going to be something. And uh, definitely something to look forward to. Uh, and go rate us on iTunes, for heaven's sake. Uh, just do that for, for both uh, the Film Find and Hero Movie Podcast. That would be very appreciated. Uh, Justin, where can uh, people find any of your work on the internet this week, sir? Uh, people wanting to find more of me and, and my opinions about this kind of stuff. Uh, if, you, if you join any of the... Uh, well, I'll say uh, I'm on certain... Uh, kaiju movie forums a lot so monster zero forums a really good one um there's a japanese giant sub forum on the classic horror film boards i hang out there under the screen name uh dergolem or mecha dergolem depending as far as uh otherwise uh i don't have that much of an online presence still currently but if you're looking for any of my written work again i've written for g fan magazine i've written for the lovecraft e-zine and i also will have a forthcoming piece my first official published academic piece in the journal of the fantastic of the arts this fall so very nice and of course follow me on twitter at adam portress at the film find and at hero movie pod for Justin Mullis, I'm Adam Portress. See you next time, everybody.
That is that, sir. Simple. Right. I, I tell you, you, you are the reason that, that, like, this, I'm glad I had you on this thing because you filled a lot of the, not like, because I guess when it comes to a lot of these things, I like to, uh, you know, I, I have a good, decent movie knowledge base around a lot of different things, but this is certainly an area that I lack uh, a decent amount of knowledge in. And uh, the fact that you can kind of step in and really fill all those gaps that I so certainly need filled, uh, Helped out big time. Oh, it was, it was a pleasure being here. I had a good time. So thank you again for having me. That was, uh, um, you know, 
So I, you know, I was, I was surprised enough, you know, that I got asked. So, but yeah, I mean, uh, we can thank Adam uh, Frazier for that. But yeah. I've been bugging him to be on yeah. some podcasts and he's just been like, eh, I don't really do the podcast stuff anymore. And I was just like, look, dude, you're the biggest Godzilla fan. I know. he's just like, I'm not a Godzilla. I'm not the Godzilla fan. You need to go talk to this guy. And I was like, okay. I mean, if he's a bigger one than you and you're the one that I know that out of every, all my friends, you're the one that kind of knows more about it and if this guy knows more than you then you know i'll i'll more be more than happy to have him on the podcast for sure but yeah man we'll uh yeah i know that yeah no that's true i mean i am i am honestly the guy though that adam like emails when he needs help with stuff so <laughs> godzilla related 